Before we begin this episode, I'd just like to say that I have always known the correct pronunciation of mental cash. If it sounds like I've doctored in the words, you know, or otherwise changed my conversation with Kat, well, I'd have to say that's wrong. It's totally wrong. Sorry, I'm not a nerd. Mental cash. Hey, I'm here today with Kat Lavery, and she's going to talk with me about something I've been thinking about a lot lately, which is your mental cash. Now that I'm 30, I've realized I've done a lot of work with my body, right? You know, I've stayed in shape, I've taken good care of my physical appearance, but I haven't really done the same thing with my mind. You know, I feel like I've had the same stories rattling around in my head, and I want to work on it. So welcome, Kat. Great to be here again. So first, can you tell me what exactly is mental cash? For me, what I think of it is how do you free up your mind so that you're creating new patterns and moving in a direction that you want? So that could be like habits or loops or what stories you could be telling in a different way. Because I think if you want to get somewhere in your life, but in your mind, you don't think you can do it. It doesn't really matter what you do in the physical world. You'll never get there because if you think you can do it or you think you can't, you're right. Mental cash is about patterning your brain to get you where it is you want to go. What is technical debt for your business and what does technical debt for your brain look like? I've just seen this term thrown around on the internet on Twitter a lot. People keep talking about technical debt. Do you know what that is? understanding of technical debt is when you were writing code that's not the most efficient version of it and so you build up debt as in you are going to have to come fix this later the more you build up the less efficient your code is and the more work you have to do later on so if you don't fix something like a pattern in software code or in your business you have to fix it later is the same true with your brain so let's just say you grew up in a house where there's overspending and they're bad with money and when you grow up you still have those bad spending habits where you just don't think about where you're spending money, but you make a lot of money. So it doesn't show up in your day to day. Like you're not in all this crazy debt or you're not seeing the actual effect on your life because it's really opportunity cost of where that money could go that you're not seeing. And so it doesn't affect you until God forbid you lose your job. And then you're like, oh my God, I've actually spent so much money on dumb the last 10 years, I just didn't realize how much money I was wasting because I had more money than most people. Kat just described the Greek economy. So uh, that's interesting. We're going to revisit that concept later. I want to know, Kat, do you think of your brain like an operating system? And should everyone think about their brain like an operating system? I know in your life, you've gone through a significant number of upheavals and changes. You've really reoriented your life in different ways, different dynamics, different versions of yourself. When you switch, do you think of a choice you're making in that way, like a game or like an operating system? Yeah, so I think of my brand like an operating system. You have different versions. As you get better at different things, you're upgrading different parts. And sometimes there's going to be bugs in them as you upgrade. And so that's how I like to look at life as far as, you know, you have the version you were when you were in high school. And I might have been like version 3.6. 
Whereas now it's, you know, 20 years on, you're version 12.0. And I think you always have to be looking at yourself as that. You're just one little tweak or one little habit you get better at, or maybe you get more in shape, you learn a new skill. Now you're a whole different version of a person. How many versions of Cat Lavery are there? Don't laugh. It's a question. I have no idea. I should sit down and figure that out. Usually in your life, you have different milestones or turning points. So there's like getting to the end of high school going to be an architect. That was probably another version with all these miniature versions. Then there was getting into entrepreneurship, you know, and I don't know how many versions there would be. I love looking at life like a video game where you're always trying to get better. And that's why the operating system is so good because, you know, we are running on this engine hardware where it's built on this idea we're running through a jungle, getting away from a tiger. And now we don't deal with anything like that. It's the same adrenaline that we're going to get from running away with a tiger, our brain is always going to look for problems. And suddenly something that really wasn't a problem way back then because it didn't exist, like, oh God, I got this email. Your body will get flooded with the same sort of stress hormones that you would have done years ago when you're actually in trouble. And so our brain just recreates these situations and pumps the same sort of stress hormone into our body. I don't know the scientific what's what, but cortisol levels and things like that, which cause us stress that is not based on something that shouldn't be looked at in the same way as like I'm running away from a tiger. And so I think you have to be mindful of that idea and how you can compartmentalize your life as far as like, oh, you know, we have so much stuff coming at us all the time. And I'm pretty good at just not trying to keep stuff in our brand. So if we think of our operating system like a computer and we have endless tabs open, we're just not going to be able to perform at the same level if we have tabs that we constantly keep open because it's just the last RAM for our brand to use. And so, you know, I have ADHD, so I have to write everything down or I will forget it. I put everything in my calendar from appointments, date nights, literally everything, because if I don't have it, I just will completely forget. I can sympathize with the million tabs open in your mind. That's what my brain feels like all the time. Kat, how do you close those tabs? How do you shut down and click off the tabs in your brain without letting go of them? How do you do that? Something I do every week is I will brand dump everything on my mind. Just get a piece of paper and write everything down. And then I have a list to work with. When it's in your brain, you really have no way to manage or organize it or put deadlines or anything to it because it's just in your brain. So When I'm feeling overwhelmed, I will literally just either get a piece of paper or open a Google Doc and start writing every single thing until I can't think of anything else. And something that works well for me is I'll set a timer for myself that I'll start. Because whenever we are trying to focus on a task, that's when our brain starts looking for problems for other things. It's like, oh, Kai, remember that thing on Amazon you meant to order? Go and do that right now. And that comes up so many times a day. I have a notebook always next to my desk and I'll write things down because I know once I go down that wormhole of what my brain will come up for as a problem. And that's what I'm talking about when I say running on old hardware because it's looking for problems. And me ordering a garlic mincer on Amazon is not a huge problem for me, but my brain will treat it in the same way it does, again, trying to save my life because it's looking for problems. But now I don't have the same problems I did when this thing was created. So when you remember, you're like, oh, no, I have to order a garlic mincer. I need to do this thing for my house. The same pattern in your brain of I'm getting chased by a tiger is what gets triggered. The brain is running on the same software as it was back then as far as like I'm looking for problems. And back in the day, I'm looking for things in the jungle that might kill me. No, I I don't have that anymore. But I am looking for things in my life that are problems and I'm going to treat it in the same way I treat some other actual big issue. Because our brain, it's trying to keep us safe all the time. And 
because we're generally safe in our environment, hopefully, it will start looking for problems and will just keep putting them in your brain to keep you safe. But really, it's just a huge distraction. I don't know if you had a Windows computer growing up, but we did. And have you ever heard of the concept of defragging your hard drive? Kat, that sounds inappropriate. I was raised a Republican. I knew you were a rage Republican. I don't know, even know why. I mean, I grew up in Texas. But yeah, I feel like it's kind of obvious. Yeah, yeah I, I love red meat. I mean, I voted for Joe Biden, but yeah, I was raised Republican. Cool. Well, your computer used to get really slow because every time you would see something on your hard drive, it would just find an empty space and put it there. And so when you defragmented your hard drive, it basically took everything in your computer and then organized it in one clump instead of all over your computer, right? It's like organizing your house, putting things in the place that they belong. And so I think we have to do that for our brand sometimes with like, how do we download everything and then put it in a place where you can take action on it or just completely disregard it? What happens if you completely disregard it and you never organize your thoughts and you just go about your life never clearing your mental cash? I mean, I think so many people do that. And that's why they always feel tired and exhausted. It's like they're the laptop with the spinning beach ball all the time. And like their day-to-day life is just harder and slower and they don't know why. And the idea of taking time off to figure themselves out, well, like, oh, I don't have time to do that because... I have all this stuff. It's like, yeah, you have to stop and take some time. There's a saying, if you don't have time to meditate for 10 minutes, you need to meditate for an hour. And so that idea of it seems like a difficult thing to take time in the moment, but you actually will need it long term because you've never done it. And every single day is more inefficient than the next. How many people do you think are living like that? If you think of America and the world, we don't grow up in traditional education learning this stuff, right? You're just on this treadmill. And so unless you go out of your way to learn it, you don't really stumble on it by accident, right? You have to go looking for it. And so there's people that are working, you know, three jobs just trying to get by and they don't have time to see their family properly or probably work out. And so they're not learning this stuff. And it's a privilege to learn this stuff because we don't grow up in traditional education learning anything about this. You know, I had friends here who are in the health space and they dealt with this mold issue in their house. Something that made me think about it is they know their body so well that they were feeling off and had all this brain fog. Turns out they had a mold in their house. I, and I know two people who are similar, like they know their bodies. And I was thinking, how many people in the US and the world are dealing with mold in their environment that they don't know it's there, but they're just so used to feeling like that they don't know something's going on, right? Because they never really knew what feeling healthy felt like. Maybe they grew up in an environment like that, or maybe that's their day to day. And so they don't know something's wrong because they've always felt this way. And so that's how I feel about the endless tabs open and things like that. If you don't know any other way, you know what you know, and you don't even have a clue what you don't know and how you should feel. A few follow-up questions, but first, just for my audience, my understanding, clearing your mental cash simply means removing all past conceptions of yourself, of past behaviors, of past lives, of past decisions you've made so that you can make the decisions you want to make moving forward. It sounds also like it might mean being organized enough to know when a thought or behavior is helpful to the person you want to be. Am I on the money? Does that sound right? That's how I would think about it. And I think kind of like the versions we were talking about is something that served you when you were younger. It'll get you to a certain place in your life, but that 
advantage that you had at one part of your life from being one way is actually a disadvantage moving forward if you don't change your pattern and your thoughts. So let's just say starting something and getting somewhere is all about taking action and taking risks. But you get to a point in your life where it's like you've gotten where you've gotten and you actually need to take less risks and you need to almost like defend what you've created. If you act the exact same way the whole time, it's going to disadvantage you. And I think you have to learn like, okay, this thing was really good for me. Thank you, Catherine version 16.4 for being like that. But now I need to move on with the next chapter. And this is how I would show up for that. Kat, have you ever taken a journal and written out Cat version 1.0, Cat version 2.0 to Cat version 16.0 and written all the things that that cat has done that has been good for her? I haven't, but that sounds great. I should do that. Oh my god, I just I just picture a journal of sketches with you. That'd be cute. You should do that. Okay, so question. How much do physical behaviors play a role in mental cash? So let's say someone has low self-esteem, right? They've spent their whole life having low self-esteem. Maybe they've been in abusive relationships. Maybe they've had very aggressive parents. Let's say they get older and they build confidence internally, but there are still some external signals of low confidence, right? For someone to clear their mental cache of a past behavior, to get rid of that behavior, do they need to change things about the way they're presenting themselves? Do you feel like that would support them in doing that? Let's say you want to adopt a new behavior. You've successfully adopted it, but there are still maybe some external signals you're giving to the world that show that that was a part of you. Can that affect your mental cash? And if so, what would you recommend someone do? James Clear has this idea of when we're trying to add new habits to our life, we're not trying to go for a perfect score, but it's supposed to be a vote. And everything that we do, it's a vote towards the behavior we want, right? And so we're not looking for a, every single day, all votes are perfect, right? You're just looking for a majority and that will win. And I do think that there are going to be signs of the previous version of you that still come out because you haven't learned that. And then maybe people show up differently. And, and sometimes it takes someone else pointing out your weaknesses in that area for you to be like, oh, let me fake it till you make it and start acting the way that a confident person would act. And then eventually over time, it becomes second nature. But we can be doing the work and still our past self shows up. Maybe we're meeting someone new and we just retract into comfort person, which is often the person we were when we were younger and first learned a behavior or a pattern that we don't even know is showing up anymore. What strategies would you recommend someone keep on hand for when a past self shows up? Let's say that someone was very dominant in social situations, right? Like they were constantly talking over other people. They were doing lots of things to get attention. When you're like that, you either learn to live with few friends or change your behavior. So let's say someone adopts a softer, more responsive persona, really adopt it, and I don't know, they get nervous in a social situation. What strategies could someone keep on hand, not just with that specifically, but any kind of past self just pops up? I feel like sometimes it's like playing whack-a-mole, right? Like you're there, you're living your life, and this mole comes up, and you just got to whack it over the head with a mallet till it's gone. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's whack-a-mole for a while whenever you're trying to become a new person. And I think it's mostly about taking the time to reflect on situations because oftentimes in the moment, like we're so in it that we don't notice if we're doing something that maybe is an old version of ourselves. So if we either have a trusted confidant we can go to where they have your best interest in mind to give you feedback or just journaling 
if your past self showed up today, where would that have been? And you'll recognize in yourself like, oh, actually, this is a way that I don't think I should have showed up. But it's hard to recognize the moment. And then you'll be more mindful when you reflect on next time that happening. And sometimes doing the reverse. So it's like, how would I show up as my past self today in a way I don't want to? And you'd be like, oh, I talk over people. I do this. And then and then you're like, wait, did I do that at all? And that's sometimes easier than trying to go the positive way is going the opposite of what you want and then trying to recognize behaviors or ways that you showed up that way in your life. I really like that. That's a good way of thinking about it. My past self showed up. This is that behavior. This is why it happened. I can just not do it again. I like that approach because it brings me to something that I would love your advice on. What do you do when other people bring up past versions of yourself? I'll give you a clear example. When I was 18, I was pretty overweight. You know, I decided to take my health and fitness seriously, and I lost a ton of pounds, and I've been a size 2 to 4 for the past 12 or so years. Sometimes I'll run into someone who knew me from that time, and they'll congratulate me on having lost weight and comment on my body. I'm not actually a fan of this, and sometimes it puts me in a bad headspace. Or sometimes I'll face moments from that time. A guy I dated once looked at a Pinterest board I made when I was 18 to get Christmas gift ideas for me, and it was basically just sugar recipes. Like, if you clicked on this, it was like paid taramin, and then it just had a bunch of dessert logs, and he surprised me with a ton of CVS chocolate and candy for Christmas. I was like, sweet, but what the hell? And he was like, well, you had it all over your Pinterest board. And I was like, well, that's not me anymore. It should not bother me when this stuff happens, but it kind of does. I definitely don't like being reminded of when it was hard for me to run a mile or fit into my jeans. And just for the record, everybody's body is their own business, but I know personally where I am the happiest and feel the best. Does this happen to you and what do you do or say? Because honestly, I get a little defensive. I'm like, that's not me anymore. Stop bringing up that past self. I don't think about that. I don't want you to think about that. Back demon to the, the Hail Mary, whatever the Catholic thing is where you like cross. Yeah, I don't do that in person. People would think I was weird. You know, I think people often think it's complimentary, which is why they're doing it. Instead of being ashamed, I think it's really about figuring out your progress. That boyfriend that got you all the sweets he's looking at the past Pinterest version of you. But if you think about it, it's thoughtful that he took the time to go on Pinterest and find those things. So if you think of it like, oh, that's actually really thoughtful that he did that and I should update my Pinterest board. And then, you know, if you bump into someone, they know past version of you. So they're like, wow, you look amazing now. And so I think of it more like, oh, they're praising the progress that you made and it's actually a good thing. And you don't have to go back to that version of you that you were then. And like some other behaviors are different. So sometimes I've gone home and, you know, sometimes people just talk about other people and I don't care. And I never really cared anyway, but, you know, it's like people gossiping. And I just feel like, yeah, I don't feel like this is a productive conversation. And so I just won't do it. I just want to say Kat is literally the least gossipy person I have ever met in my life. I have never heard her bring up another person. That's something I want to say on the podcast because a lot of people say that. But for her, it's really true. You know, I've been caught in conversations where it's like, oh, this person did this thing. And I'm just like, who cares? Like, this doesn't affect you at all. So why do you care about this? And I think, you know, you can say something without someone feeling bad or just completely change the subject altogether, which I'll do. But as far as someone referring to a past version of you, if we think back to a Mac, be like, oh, this version is so much better. It's not making you feel bad about the previous version. It's like, oh, my God, the progress. And let's just say you bump into someone from 10 years ago and you're the exact same. And they're like, oh, you haven't changed at all. I find that more offensive than anything else. 
Yeah, you're right. Actually, that is a lot more offensive than, wow, you look really great. You've lost a lot of weight, too. You look the exact same. Okay, that's an interesting reframe. Do you have any other sound bites that I could use when those situations pop up? You gave me such a great one last time, which was, you tell people how to treat you and you can't change it. I'm so glad I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. Thanks, Kat. Walking Hallmark card here. I remember getting rid of the Pinterest board. I had to email them and then call the customer support line because I'd lost access to that email. It actually took like three weeks to take it down. It just felt like this really sticky metaphor. Okay, I'm not going to go into why I'm asking this question, but I will say sometimes I don't think people like it when you make progress. Sometimes I think when you get better and make good changes in your life, if you come across someone from a past version of yourself, sometimes they can be a little bit, I would say, upset or annoyed that you've made these positive changes. This is not a unique-to-me experience. This is a pretty universal human experience that you have a friend who's maybe jealous and doesn't like the fact that you've become better in some way. Sometimes I've noticed when you encounter someone who is like that, They can want to put you down in some way or revert you back to that past version of yourself. Let's say you were once a people pleaser and you've become a lot stronger in yourself. I have noticed that the congratulations someone gives you can be a little backhanded. It can be like, wow, you're doing so much better about setting boundaries than you used to be. Do you remember when you were such a huge loser? You're smiling. You know what I'm talking about. It's such a human thing. Everybody has gone through this. What has it been like for you and what would you suggest for people who encounter it? I think when you change, it's a trigger for people when they don't feel like they're changing enough or when you're getting something because you worked for it and they haven't done the work or maybe they are doing the work and they haven't seen the result yet. In general, when people are like that, it's because your success or you doing something is triggering them because they haven't done it. And that happens a lot when you make a change or you make a difference or you make a choice different from your social circles. Whenever I quit architecture, it was very much like, oh my God, this person's going through some sort of midlife crisis. And even though I knew a lot of people in the industry who were friends were not happy in it, me choosing not to do it was almost like a judgment on their choice of staying in it, even though they hated it. And when we are triggered by something someone else does, it's often something that we want to get better at ourselves or we're bad at. And so whenever I think something negative or judgmental about someone else, I'm like, okay, what part of that is because I have some sort of internal thing? It's never about the other person. So when someone says something like that to you, don't take it personal. It's just like you're becoming a magnifying glass on their life and what they're not doing. I have people that I went to high school with that I wasn't close with in high school. Not that I didn't like them, I just didn't really know them. And sometimes they'll message me on Facebook and they'll tell me about some entrepreneurial thing they're doing. And I'm like, awesome, and I'll just chat to them about it because I think that they're maybe doing it at home and they don't even know who to talk to about it because there's just much less of a community there. Or maybe they're getting like, oh, why don't you just get a job or this is never going to work or whatever it is. And so they're looking for some sort of positive response. So they're reaching out to the only person that they know from their high school who did something similar. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. Good luck. And so you have to look at the source of who it is saying it and don't take advice from someone that hasn't done what you want to do or is the type of person that you want to be because it's just a waste of time. What do you think about removing people or things from your past selves in life? I think about the changes you've gone through. I know there have been so many 
Do you still keep attachments with those people and places from your past? How does it feel to go back to New York or to see an architecture firm or something of that nature? I have weak ties to my old life. And I think the longer the time you have away from something, you can look back at it and see the blessings or the good things that came from it without it being in your day-to-day life. I can only think of a couple of occasions where I've had to cut ties with people. And for the most part, I just slowly fade out. And so it's like I can reach out to people in my past. Like my ex-husband and I, we aren't really in touch. We're on good terms, but every now and again, we'll just text. He'll be like, oh, this is a good show you might like. We don't talk very often and we laughed on good terms, but we don't need to be friends that talk all the time. And so I think a casual fade out is usually the best way to do it. And then also just, you know, if you don't know who you should be hanging out with, it's like who makes you feel the best version of you and who has good habits and who is doing the things that you want to do. At one point, my social circle was all architects and we worked endless hours and I didn't know anyone doing what I wanted to do. And so I was like, well, I have to be intentional with who I'm spending time with if I want to get out of this rat race. And so I think you need to take a look around at your life. There's some scientific study where if you live with someone that's overweight, you're more likely to be overweight. If you are friends in a social circle of people that are overweight, you are also going to be overweight. Because if you think of the types of activities and what they're eating and things like that, and you're hanging around with them, you're probably going to be doing the same things. Whereas if you are hanging around with people who are working out, they're super active, they are into personal growth, you're more likely to also be into those things or at least start those things. So I'm pretty intentional with the people I spend time with so that I don't slip into habits that I don't want. Would you ever outright tell someone, I can't hang out with you because this habit you are doing brings me closer to a past self in a non-robot way? Would you ever tell someone something like that so that they know directly or would you just slow fade? Like just pretend you're busy or you're very busy so you don't need to pretend, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I think I would just slow fade. I mean, unless they were super pushy, but I mean, I'm not a confrontational person. So if I know myself, it's definitely the slow fade. You know, my time is so limited to do the things that I want and hang out with the people that I do want to hang out with that it sounds bad. But sometimes I'm like, oh, I can't be bothered like making new friends because I don't even get to see the people I want to hang out with enough. So hanging out with someone that, you know, is negative or I don't want to is just not going to happen. Very interesting. Yeah, I'm always grateful when you make the time to do podcasts with me because it's fun. So I know you and I know how you feel about change. What age do you think it becomes harder to rewire your brain or change a behavior? Is there any point where you feel like it might be impossible? And not just a certain age, maybe a certain number of years of doing something. Is there ever a point where someone's past behaviors are so stacked that it's just going to be really hard to change who they are? There's not really an age, I don't think, unless you have gone through your life not changing. There's some study as far as like when people retire, if you don't have something to work on outside of your job and you retire, you die quicker. If you are learning new things, the neuroplasticity in your brain gets better. And so the habit of forcing yourself to learn and get better at things and learn new skills, that is a habit that you should get into because it will help you live longer. And so it's not an age, it's more of like, when do you stop learning new things? And that's the point in which the longer you don't learn new things, the harder it is to get going again. So it's not really an age, it's more of a mindset. What do you think about specific societal starting points for change? How do you feel about New Year's resolutions and birthday resolutions and other things like that? I mean, I'm a fan of the idea of change, and I like that 
We have these New Year's resolutions as a trigger to get people moving. But I think people depend too much on waiting for January 1st. There's this cartoon. It's like maximum contrast. I'm going to eat everything I can in sight up until the 31st. And then January 1st, it's like maximum contrast. Now I'm going to become the best version of me. And it's like, why wait three weeks to start doing what it is that you want to do? And so I think the actual trigger is good to get people to change their behavior and reflect on their life and like where do they want to get better. But I don't like the idea of, oh, I have to wait until this day to do it. And God forbid I fall off the wagon January 17th. Oh, I have to wait until next year. So I'm not a fan of random days being the reason that we change. And then also change starts from tiny little things. And it also doesn't say like, I'm going to change my life tomorrow. I'm going to literally go from not working out to working out every single day. Because some people can do that. But oftentimes you'll miss a day and then it's like, well, I guess I failed and now I'm not doing it anymore. And so now you go back to your old self. Whereas if you took tiny steps, like what if I just did a 20 minute walk every day? Like what's what's the bite sized thing that I can do every day that will force change and compound over time instead of setting myself this insane goal of I got to go do a 90 minute workout every day for the next week. That's exhausting. And so I think people look at this idea of a crisis problem versus a lifestyle problem. Let's just say you're re leaking you're not going to be like well i'm going to work on that for 30 minutes a day for the next month it's like no you're going to work on it till it's fixed and so a lot of people will see a lifestyle thing of i'm overweight i'm gonna get on the treadmill for the next three hours every single day until you do that for what three days and then you're exhausted and you injure yourself and then you don't do it again and so they try to fix this lifestyle problem with a crisis thing instead of just thinking like okay what are bite-sized things that i could do every single day that are doable that can compound over time and I will see change instead of trying to almost take a shortcut that leads to nowhere. It's so interesting that you say that. So something you should know about me is that's actually how I approach everything I want to change is trading it like a crisis. When I was 18, I was like, oh my God, I'm like 45 pounds overweight. I'm going to just get this off and I'm going to keep it off. And I got it off and it's been off for the past 12 or so years. That's how I approach all problems in my life. And honestly, I've had a lot of success with it. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do blank anymore. I'm going to start doing blank. And I just say that and then I do it. And that's the mindset I take. What do you think about that? So you're probably setting some sort of achievable habit. Are you saying like, oh, I'm going to stop eating and I'm going to work out nonstop? I mean, clearly stuff about you is achievable and it's lasted in the long term. That's exactly what it was. When I was 18, I was like, okay, I'm going to do a hardcore crash diet for three months and exercise every single day. And then I did it and I just went to what, like a normal workout schedule. Same with other things. I don't know if that's super uncommon, but I found that really has worked for me. You might be the exception. Sometimes that works, but oftentimes, let's just say that you decide to work out to lose the weight, but your eating is still not great, or you do a crash diet, but your underlying habits are still the same. You're not sleeping enough. You're eating junk food. You're binging. I think in general, it's not as sexy because you don't see the, the progress as quickly. And so people want to be able to see, oh, I didn't eat for three days and the scale is down a little bit or it's not done at all. I'm like, what am I doing? And it's failed. I'm going to move on. So I think it depends on your personality. I've also done that as far as like I will go from zero to 100 on things, but then I'll dial it back and be like, OK, what's the sustainable way to keep this off? But it also just depends on your mindset and your person. And if we're thinking of like the overall general public of what would be easiest for them as like small habits that they can do. Very interesting. How many times do you have to do or be something before you can consider it to be who you are as a person? 
So separating it from the zero to 100, if you adopt a healthy behavior, how long would you say someone has to go before they can consider that behavior a habit? There, there's a lot of stuff out there about how much you have to do something for it to be a habit. Depends on the habit. Some habits are easier than others. I think I read 66 days being the tipping point of most things if you do it every day. And I also think the, the idea of for something to be a lifelong habit or a long habit is changing your relationship to it and then also changing your, what's the word? Shoot. I like literally had it in my head and I cannot remember. Maybe we can play a game. It's like not character, like status. It's your persona. I'm going to be so annoyed that I remember this. I can't remember the name. My brain is blanking on what this is called. Kat's checking out her productivity books. By the way, I'm in her studio. There are a lot of productivity books. Kat is a highly successful person for a reason. She's pulling out Atomic Habits. Her jacket says, win the day. Kat is such a badass, y'all. I'm really glad she's here talking to me. She has the personality of a six foot four person. It's always surprising to me when she stands up and she's my height. Don't giggle. She's flipping through atomic habits. Well, that's a habit of a successful person. If they have a question, they find the answer. You have that dog in you. That's okay. I'll make a note for my audience here. We'll add the word back in if Kat remembers it. And you have that nice narration of her studio. So speaking of studios, what is the relationship between your physical space and your mental space? If I'm trying to clear out my mental cache, how much does my physical space play a role in how my mind is working? Yeah, so I think for me, the environment it's very dependent on you as a person and how much you take in from your environment. For me, to be creative, I need to be in a space that inspires me and so when my space is cluttered often my mind's cluttered let me just declutter and get rid of things and i will feel more at peace and more able to control it's really difficult if you're feeling overwhelmed to be in a messy space and somehow get back on track so i would say you know getting natural light super important be in a space that inspires you and if it doesn't inspire you have it just be uncluttered with only the things that you want and try to have everything within your space have some sort of purpose. That's the biggest things I would say. What are some behaviors you think the average person should give up to be healthier, to have better relationships, and to be more successful in work and in life? I mean, I don't want to put a blanket statement on as far as what people should do. I think if you know what kind of life you want to live and how you want to show up, it's like that inversion thing we talked about before where like, what's the opposite? Sometimes the best way I know I'm showing up in a way I don't want is not about like, oh, you should be doing this. It's more of like, okay, what type of life am I trying to lead? Okay, how would the person showing up in my life do the opposite activities? Like, what are the activities that they do every day that will make sure that they will never get what I want to get? And that's like scrolling endlessly on social media, watching the news all the time, getting caught up with stuff that doesn't matter in the day to day. And it's really difficult because your attention is constantly being bombarded. But I find that if I write down the things that the person opposite me is doing, I'm like, oh, shit, I'm doing this too, and I need to stop it. 
And so that's the easiest way because it's not judgmental. I can't be like, okay, you shouldn't be watching the news because maybe you're trying to be a journalist and you have to watch the news, right? So figuring out what the life is that you want or what the personality or person that you're supposed to be shows up and then inverting that and being like, okay, what's the things that the opposite person does? And then write them down a list, create like a don't do list and put on your wall. And then when you're doing it, you're more mindful like, oh, that was on my list of stuff not to do. And I find that easier. Having a don't do list is just as important as having a to do list. I know we are coming up on time. So I do have some final questions. I touched on this a bit earlier. What do you do if someone tries to force you back into a past self? I know that sounds weird, so I'll explain it like this. Let's say you're at a lunch with someone who knew you from a while ago, and they haven't talked to you in so many years, and you're just having a conversation, and they say something like, oh no, you're not like that. You know, I feel like it's just a human experience where people are uncomfortable with change, right? They feel judged. I would honestly like to just not encounter that stuff ever, but that's not how life works. So what do you do when that happens? How do you respond? What do you say? Let's say you just don't want to engage with someone and you don't want them to talk about a past self. You just be like, hey, you're bringing out this version of me that I don't relate to anymore. So I don't feel like I have a place in this conversation with this topic because it feels like a version of me I don't even recognize. And so it would be not an integrity for me to speak on that. I like that. I'm going to use that next time someone I haven't talked to in eight years adds me on Facebook and sends me a message about how much I've grown. That was the incident I was talking about. I mean, that's if we go back to before, it's also a compliment of how far you've come since then. You'd be like, you haven't changed at all. You're the exact same. You haven't grown in 10 years. And so I think in general, people are good people. And sometimes they just want to connect with you in whatever way they think. And so they're complimenting you on how much you've changed is in whatever way that shows up for them. And if they keep bringing it up in a way that's pointless, that's when you say something like that. Or if they're like, keep bringing up like, oh, you've lost all this weight in a way that's somehow negative. How do you get rid of mental clutter, things that are rattling around in your brain? I knew you were talking about writing them all out and meditating, but when you're on your good behaviors, right, when you're doing these things that bring you closer to who you want to be as a person, what do you do personally when you've got a little past self or past behavior pop up? Do you ever find yourself wanting to slip back into something? What do you do? I know I've asked a version of this, but do you have any clear-cut strategies for what you do? I remember one specific time where I had this business idea, and then a voice in my head was said, oh, that's too big for you. You can't work on that. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, I have to work on that because that's a problem. Like, where does that come from? And so it's just listening to thoughts that come into your head because that is a pattern or a story that you've created. So I think the first thing to do as far as mental clutter and seeing things that show up is like starting to journal, like listen to your thoughts when they come up. If you think of a goal or a dream or something you want to work on and then you have a negative voice in your head pulling you back, don't worry about the people on Facebook. That's the one that you want to address and pay attention to and focus on and do the work for. It's really surprising to me that you still have thoughts in your head that say that's too big for you. You have the whole empire you built on Best Self. It's the number one book for self-growth on Amazon. So even you're privy to those thoughts. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I had stuff like that all the time. Last week, I was going to send my newsletter. And I'm like, I don't really know if I have anything useful to say. 
And then I think I just wrote people like, oh, this is what was showing up. And here's some questions I was asking myself around it. But yeah, that stuff comes up. I think most people, unless you're a psychopath, you still have stuff that comes up and you just have to figure out where it comes from and then address it in a productive way to be able to move past it. Because so many people might have those thoughts in their mind. They don't even recognize that it's there. And so they don't know that they're self-sabotaging themselves. And a lot of times the people we should be most concerned about as far as growth and goals and getting where we want in our life is not other people. It's our own limiting beliefs in ourselves and the stories and the patterns that we tell ourselves. A lot of self-sabotage is a huge issue because your brain is comfortable with a certain level of success. And then once you get out of it, it's like your body doesn't know how to deal with it and will start sabotaging you in ways that you don't even realize to keep you at the level you're at. Because like I said, our brain, its whole job is to keep us safe. And it, you've been safe in this status your whole life. Why would you want to go beyond that? Or why would your brain want you to go beyond that? That's why sometimes when we go to work out, you know, our brain's like, you're tired. You're like a little sore today. Like maybe you shouldn't work out or maybe you shouldn't do this thing. And then We just have to ignore that lizard brain and do it anyway, because again, we're running on ancient hardware to go back to the start of the the podcast. What are some strategies you would give to people to get over self-limiting beliefs? I mean, I think the first thing is to just figure out what they are. Sit down and figure out what your limiting beliefs are. You can't work on anything if you don't know what it is. And it sounds so dumb, but talking to yourself and giving yourself evidence of that you do know how to do something or you've done this in the past and that is helpful because a lot of this stuff like we said at the start if you don't believe you can do something it doesn't matter what you you could spend all day every day working on something and your brain will never let you actually hit the goal that you want everything comes down to what you believe about yourself yeah and every time i've set a big goal that i don't know how i'm going to do it I was just like, this is what I'm going to do. I've always hit it because I was conscious of it. And it's almost like you're giving your subconscious mind something to work on. You're just like, oh, this is what I want to do. I don't know how I'm going to get there. Don't get caught up with the tyranny of how. Just say and decide what you're going to do. And then you're going to figure it out on the way. Instead of a lot of times it's like, oh, I want this. I want to make a million dollars. Oh, and then your brain's like, how would I do that? I don't even know. You don't even know how to do that. Like, you're going to figure that out. The first step is just deciding what it is you want in your life and then taking little mini steps and figuring out what your limiting beliefs are. I love that. I think that's really good. Well, I do want to be mindful of your time, but I do have one final question, which is how personally easy did you find it to change your life and to stop your self-limiting beliefs? I mean, I've changed my life over time, but I didn't start off with like, I'm going to change my life. What's the first step ahead of you and then doing it? And then don't overwhelm yourself. I have to change everything in my life because, yeah, sometimes for extreme personalities that works really well. And sometimes you just get so out of your comfort zone that you're just paralyzed. So for me, it's slowly stepping outside your comfort zone. That's pretty much the key to everything is realizing that the comfort zone is just a trap of you not moving and changing. And so anytime something scared me, I'm like, well, it's a sign I have to do it. So I remember signing up for a 50-mile bike ride in New York. I didn't even have a bike at the time, but I'm like, I should do that. And I'm scared to do it, which means I probably should do it. And so I just signed up for it. And so I'll do stuff like that. Like I'm like, how do I have to grow as a person to be able to do this in six months? Because if I put money on, you know, well, now I have to buy a bike and now I have to sign up for this thing. That's money on the line that now I have to do the thing that I said I was going to do. And so I like to set these things for myself as far as challenges of like, oh, I'm going to do a Tough Mudder or a Spartan race. Like I'll just sign up for it. 
and I don't have the capacity to do it at this very moment. But I know that if I sign up and I put my money on it, then I'll figure out. Don't get caught up in the tyranny of how you're going to do it. Just sign up for something or like decide something and then the how will figure itself out because you have to do it. Don't back out. So it sounds like the best ways of clearing your mental cash are the past, put money down on what you want to do in the future. Yeah, pretty much. Don't listen to people in the past. Only hang out with people that you would want to be like. Get out of your comfort zone. Money down on things that will force you to change. Because there's the whole loss aversion thing. We're going to do more to not lose $100 than we would to make $100. So that's what I do. It's just like putting money or bets or making a bet with a friend. Like, I want to do this every single day. And this is how much money I put down. I don't want to lose that money. So I'm much more likely to do it. And so setting up these bets for yourself to force behavior change is powerful. Awesome. The past. A friend and I did this thing where it's like, okay, things I want to do every day. And if I don't do them, I have to donate $1,000 to Donald Trump's campaign. And I have to post on social media that he did it. And I cannot say it was for a bet. Because the social pressure of posting something, like, oh, I, I donated his campaign. And you cannot tell the people why you did it. That's going to get you moving. So any days where I was like, I really am too tired. I'm like, well, I'm not posting on Facebook. So I guess I got to do it. Okay, we'll close out the podcast like this. I'm going to bleep this out. I'm going to tell you a behavior I want to change. And you're going to give me a dollar amount that is not $1,000. Let's let's just say it's $100. And then an activity I have to donate to and post about on social media if I don't change it. Okay. I really, really, really want to stop because I this is going to be bleeped out. You're just going to hear a long bleep on the podcast. It's just going to be bleep. I cannot believe I ever let. You saw it happen in person. To change that, I'm just not going to think about it. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to engage with it. I'm not going to read over messages that were mean to me about. If I don't do this, if I slip up in the next three weeks, I have to donate $100 to. I mean, what's the opposite of what you believe? That's what it needs to be. Burned on the climate campaign. Like, let's mine Bitcoin. You care about the climate and you don't like crypto weirdos. You have to mine Bitcoin personally. That's a good incentive. I also think that being annoyed at yourself for the past version of you is like that's the past version of you before you grew. So it's kind of like being, oh, I'm annoyed at this previous software version for not being able to do this. It's like it didn't know the technology, didn't know stuff. It's so pointless to be annoyed at. I mean, I used to also just let and now I know where that came from and why I did it. But I'm not annoyed at my past self because in some way it served you however it did. Thank you so much, Kat, for coming on and for talking with me about this. You're welcome. This is fun.
Thing. The way you remind me of everything. The way you remind me of everything. 